I'd like to move to Proverbs 21, but we haven't covered that much of 20. Every word of God is pure, blameless. As we heard again in Psalm 19, the Jody read, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Every word is perfect. Let's go to Proverbs 20. If we have time, we'll move on to 21. I'd like someone to please read half of it, half the chapter, Proverbs 20, and someone else who can read the other half. Let's pay attention to the Word of God. Let's Proverbs 20, New King James Version. Wine is a marker, strong drink is a roller, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. The wrath of a king is like the roaring of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger sins against his own life. It is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. Counsel in the heart of men is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Most men will proclaim each is his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. A king who sits on the throne of judgment scatters all evil with his eyes. Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. Diverse weights and diverse measures, they are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Even a child is known by his deeds. Whether what he does is pure and right, the the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. Do not love sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will be satisfied with bread. It is good for nothing, cries the buyer. But when he has gone his way, then he boasts. There is gold and a multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Praise the Lord. Proverbs Proverbs 20, New King James Version. Take the garment of one who is surety for a stranger and hold it as a pledge when it is for a seductress. Bread gained by deceit is sweat to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. Plans are established by counsel, by wise counsel wage war. He who goes about 
as a talebearer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. Whoever curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. An inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Do not say I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. Diverse weights are an abomination to the Lord and dishonest scales are not good. A man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? It is a snare for a man to devote rashly something as holy and afterwards to reconsider his vows. A wise king sifts out the wicked and brings the threshing wheel over them. The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. Mercy and truth preserve the king, and by loving kindness he upholds this throne. The glory of young men is their strength, and the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Blows that hurt cleanse away evil, as do stripes the inner depths of the heart. Praise God. Every single proverb, every time I hear it, whether I'm reading it, hearing my own voice, or hearing someone else read it, or hearing it from an audio Bible, every single time it speaks to me. And I believe it speaks to you also. Where do we begin? We can read the same chapter over and over and over again. Every time there's a certain edge from the Spirit of God, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to clear away some doubt, some problem, some confusion, to bring light into our situation. The Word of God here shows us that we can have a righteous legacy that's more valuable than anything we can gain in this world doesn't matter how high we can get in this world by way of wealth or fame. It means nothing if we don't leave behind a righteous legacy. The Word of God is given as a gift so we can be different. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. Grant us, Lord. Grant us, Lord, I pray, a greater awareness of your presence this morning. Oh, Lord, I pray that no one will be multitasking this morning other than, Lord, those who have to go to work and they're doing their best to listen to the Word of God. Oh, Father, I pray. Would you help us to give our all to you, our full attention. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Lord, we have you as our Father. 
and the Father's made time for us, for our own good. And thank you. And you've drawn your children to sit, as it were, all around your feet, Lord. As you instruct us, we thank and praise you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. A king, a king, a righteous king, It's the duty as well as the glory of a king. We would think immediately, yes, for a king to sit on his royal throne with all his regal outfit, all his subjects, to pronounce decrees to pronounce the order of the day as well as communicate his desires to his subjects for his own benefit. Proverbs 20 and verse 26. Someone please read that again. Proverbs 20 verse 26. A wise king sifts out the wicked and brings the threshing wheel over them. Amen. The opposite, of course, is a foolish king who ignores evil, sympathetic to evil, people who go across this land committing bloodshed. How? By robbing people, holding them at knife point, gunpoint, there's a far more serious crime than that, or I should say more prevalent, that is people killing human beings in the womb. Bloodshed. What do the rulers of this world do? They give access and make it more accessible to murder. Instead of standing up, we have a president close to 80 years of age, we have a woman vice, vice president. We have presidents. We have senators, legislators of all kinds, mayors and governors who will not step up to prevent the worst bloodshed humanity can perform, that of killing innocent human beings in the womb. You would think an older person, a senior citizen, and one well advanced in years, will have some kind of tenderness that all the hardness would have gone away, but it seems the opposite is true. The older they get, the harder they are in their hearts, the more set in their ways. God is watching doesn't matter if 300 million people support killing human babies in the womb. God is the ultimate king, and he will bring the threshing wheel over those who are unjust. Can you please check your lines? If you're unmuted, if you don't mind, just muting your lines, please. Notice it says in verse 26, a wise king 
sifts out the wicked and brings the threshing wheel over them. It's the job. It's the obligation. It's the glory for a ruler to do that which is right in the sight of God as they exert the authority, exercise authority over the people who they are sworn to protect are loyal to. But there's a gross perversion of justice all across the land. Israel was called Israel was called to the judgment seat of God over and over again because they went to this demon god named Molech. They used to go and sacrifice the children. They learned the Canaanites' behaviors. God said, if you copy them, my soul will be so grieved and I'll be so furious with you. If you repeatedly ignore my warnings, the land will vomit you out of itself. The same land that I so carefully, patiently, lovingly, after forgiving the sins, brought you in through the eastern border across the Jordan River, meted out the land, the territory, some on the east of the Jordan River, mostly on the west. Every tribe, can you imagine God calling your name and then calling the names of your descendants? So personal is God. And he says, I want to bless you and make your name great. I love you and your children, your grandchildren. I'm your God and you're my people. Come, let me show you a land flowing with milk and honey. I want to give you the best. Hallelujah. They came in excited. And God warned them, do not copy the behavior of the heathen, these pagans. I've brought you in to the midst of a wicked people to take over their territory. I don't want you to copy their pagan rituals and customs. I want you to be a light right there. I want you to be blessed and fruitful. It wasn't long before they began to copy what these people did. And today, we are at the point where no one needs to copy anyone. The evil is so entrenched in the majority of Americans, in the majority of people on this globe. God has so graciously formed the world exactly with the conditions necessary, not only for survival, but for prosperity every human being, billions of us. What an insult to take all of God's goodness and then do evil. But a wise king will look through his territory and find out where evil is occurring and destroy it. There's a double standard. Cities of this nation have police. The nation has a military, supposedly for justice. Those among the ranks in society who have nothing to do with 
physical defense of people with weapons involved and exertion of force and authority yet in the medical community they have weapons medical instruments to destroy a human being bit by bit while in the womb live human being but there's a tremendous outcry from New York to California from Texas all the way up to Michigan when an animal is slaughtered it can make the front page and all sorts of activists come up and say how can you be cruel to the animals don't kill animals and take their fur how unjust why do you think you're better than an animal human being and think nothing about killing human beings made in the image of God that too innocent they can kill human beings and go to breakfast and enjoy but they can lament and weep and march and spend billions of dollars for the defense of an animal God says it's wrong to be cruel to an animal but surely it's far worse to be cruel to a human being no wonder God says a wise king must behave in a way as to so as to administer justice justice is a concept that has been skewed and perverted with a double standard today the question this morning is for us not to rant on some political agenda or simply to point fingers although we can't ignore it but in our own lives how do we feel about justice how do we feel about the law of god it's possible to fluctuate in our zeal and in our devotion to doing what's right in god's sight one day we may be all fired up against evil and the next day become complacent and the next day become a partaker various reasons may not be that we are looking to actively hurt someone but it may be because of fear of what man would think because of fear of loss but the word of god is right in front of us to help us to maintain a proper zeal and devotion to god so that we continue to act like god the righteous god decrees justice we as his children made in his image born again also should be careful to spot evil in our own lives and then work on getting rid of it two questions that may be very helpful to us as we read the proverbs and any passage in the bible any sentence is as a result of what you have heard what you read what will i now stop doing what will i now start doing 
if my desire to be zealous for the Lord my God, to do His will, has waned, has become complacent, can I say, Lord, I have to get back on track. I have to fight the good fight of faith. I have to be a person who loves your word, loves your justice. Oh, God, in my life, I'm going to start being on fire again for the truth and do the right thing. And God can speak specifically to us as to what we ought to start doing. By the same token, things that God says you should not be doing this and to determine to stop doing those things. We are called the kingdom of priests to our God and to our God, every one of us. Our jurisdiction, first and foremost, even before our family members who are under our authority, is our own person. What is it I'm doing with my person, within me, my thoughts, my actions, the use of my three-part being, spirit, soul, and body? What am I feeding it, and have I gotten rid of that which will pollute it? It appears to be so simple, but the results can be so glorious if we have a proper reign over ourselves. We go back one verse, and it speaks about vows, things that we devote to the living God. It is a snare for a man to devote rashly something to be holy, or something is holy. And afterwards, to reconsider his vows, You may be haunted with this, perhaps because we have forgotten something we said we do to the Lord. Run to the Lord, we made a promise, and even worse, by presumptuously going against the vows. The Lord brings it to us time from time to time. Then not only do I look at the Word of God to learn something new or to realign myself by saying, what will I start doing, what will I stop doing, but I also consider, along with the commandments of God, here's a commandment to keep the vows. We see in Ecclesiastes also, in the book of Psalms. I say, Lord, what have I said to you? Help me, Lord, to carry it out. And the human will is able to do it. Otherwise, God would not command us to do it. But we must bring our desires to the presence of God. As long as we're in the presence of God, meaning that we come to face His truth, we come to draw near to His holiness. And we come with the honest decision to say, Lord, I want everything to change about me that doesn't fit 
that is improper for a saint of God. Because every born-again person is called a saint. It's man's religion that would set up certain saints as a class of elite believers. But God says every single person that has been washed by the blood of the Lamb of God, truly born again, is a saint, a sanctified one. Therefore, certain things are proper for the saint or the righteous person, and certain things are not. Certain things are befitting a child of the king, the living God. People love to sing a friend of God and a child of the king and many, many declarations, but empty, hollow words as far as their practical effect on their lives. Isn't that so? But there are a group of people scattered throughout this world who really embrace what it means to be a friend of God, a real friend of God, what it means to be a child of the king. And like this king in Proverbs twenty twenty six, absolutely determined to weed out and sift out wickedness in their own lives, then they can stand up and help others. But there's an outcry from heaven that came against what Sodom and Gomorrah were doing. There's a cry that came up from Sodom and Gomorrah. Two different cries. One was a cry of wickedness. An insatiable desire to add insult to injury, continue to do evil, continue to murder and oppress all kinds of things were going on, and God has put it in the book, in the holy book. Why? So we can avoid those things and not become complacent. And also understand the gravity of the judgment of God that's going to fall upon this nation and on the whole world. If there's no repentance and there's a heart cry from the people of God like Abraham to intercede, oh God, God work through the government, work through the people, the citizens. May the fear of God grip them. Unless it grips us, how can we pray that it will grip them? There's a cry for God's justice also, not just mercy. Because mercy will not continue indefinitely to the wicked. Otherwise, there's no meaning to God's justice. God cannot allow the wicked into heaven. Justice will be meted out. And so the cry of the believer may appear to be paradoxical at times, like King David. He said, I fasted when my enemy was sick. I fasted and prayed from the enemy, for the enemy. And he wants to stab me now. God, look at my righteousness, what I did. Lord, would you consider me? Protect me, Lord. Other times, David said, Lord, destroy them. Break the teeth of the ungodly. There's a judgment that comes. Paul the Apostle 
pronounced a judgment from God by the Spirit of God that certain men who oppose the work of God would be blind for a season. We need to understand that God is very active in human affairs. And as the people of God, He wants to flow through us, but we must be cleansed first. We must understand that there needs to be prayer made for many, that when the term murder comes up, abortion comes up, when the term oppression comes up, that because of human nature and if someone hears the same thing over and over again it's possible to lose the seriousness about it and the feeling along with it of sadness and grief and anger against injustice we ought to pray oh God may my heart be tender Josiah's heart was tender they lost the book, the law of most. When it was produced, a number of people heard it. But it's recorded that the king began to weep. And he tore part of his clothes as a sign of that deep grief. He was horrified because he heard from the word of God that judgment is going to fall. It's already hanging over Israel. Over Judah, it's going to be wiped out. Oh God, he started crying. God's word came and said, I'm going to punish the people, but this king, because your heart was tender, you're going to be gathered to your fathers. You don't have to worry about this. But he didn't stop. He went up and down the land and cleansed it of the pollution. You see, he was clean and he was able to cleanse. Glory be to God. But the point is, the heart was tender. We need to pray if we have heard things in the news and we hear about destruction on the other side of the world. It's possible, all too possible, because we're human. But you see, because we have the Spirit of God, we ought to say, Lord, if I've lost the tenderness toward human life, toward your word, Lord, your heart being offended by humanity. Oh, Lord, would you rekindle that? I want to feel what you feel, Lord. God, so I can pray prayers that are led by the Holy Spirit and be effective. You can pray on this side of the globe. Someone in Ghana can be touched by the Spirit of God. There's a missionary, I mentioned this before sometime, who was out there in the Congo. The man of God gave up everything to go there, risk his life, from England. And while he was ministering to these tribes, of course he stayed there, adopted their customs, 
and began to learn the language, and it was uh, very different than the missions today in most places. This was pioneer territory. People, once they decided I'm going as a missionary, essentially they said I'm ready to die. Not today where I have a return plane ticket. I know exactly what I'm going to do there, and I'm going to come back and take pictures and there and show everything. And just a contrast, nothing wrong with taking pictures or getting a return trip ticket, but it was different back then, far more dangerous. And he went. And one day he contracted a serious disease, some sudden disease. And he lay on the ground with all the natives who were touched by the Spirit of God to the gospel that he preached were horrified and grieved. They didn't know what to do. He was dying. And he was on the ground and nobody can help him. They were about to lose him. And while they were watching, all of a sudden he jumped up completely full of life as if nothing happened when they all knew he was ready to die. Years later, as an old man, he came back to England and he related this story and an old lady said, I'd like to have a word with you. And she asked him about when that happened, this miracle, that while he was dying in this foreign land, no family abandoned to do the will of God for the native's sake. He said the time, the day, and she produced her diary and said, the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night because I saw in a vision a missionary on the floor dying. The Lord said to pray, and I obeyed, and I didn't know who or what, but I prayed with all of my heart, and I went back to sleep. What a thrill that a burden from God, the precise activity of the Holy Spirit, he knows what he's doing, can trust that woman because she surrendered to God and do a supernatural work. He could have done it apart from her. But the greatness of God and loving kindness of God is that he wants to use us in the expansion of the kingdom in the supernatural. The burden that we should have must be accompanied by faith. That if God put this burden in my heart for justice in my family, in this nation, in this world, for evil to be stamped out and shut down, I must pray. I must believe if the burden has come and if I've prayed, and Lord, give me more of a burden because I'm too much into myself. I don't really feel what I feel when I'm sick, when others are sick. Oh God, something is wrong with my heart. Lord, when my child is sick, I know how it feels, but when someone else's child is sick, I don't quite feel the same thing. In one sense, it may be true and correct. In another sense, not so. 
there must be some deep burden there. Lord, when someone loses their home through a cataclysmic storm, help my heart to be tender, Lord, that I pray for them, Lord. Lord, if I'm able to be trusted by you to be a righteous king, a righteous daughter of God, son of God, queen, royalty, and the king of kings lay down his life for sinful people like me, how much more is a king, a child of God, a queen, should I not? lay down my life so others can live. I have his genes in me, his DNA. I do what the Father does, Jesus said. It's my great delight. There's nothing else like it. The Holy Spirit draws us to another level so that when we take care of business concerning ourselves and we begin to pray for a burden souls after cleaning up ourselves. Remember James chapter 1, the very end of it. Pure religion and undefiled is this. We should do what? Have the burden and care for widows and orphans in their distress. Obviously talking about those don't have the means or very little means to get by and they're oppressed. And it says to keep oneself unspotted from this world. Once I'm ready and surrendered to God and I say, oh Father, my time is not my time, it's your time, Lord. You show me what schedule to follow. Lord, you show me what to do with those three T's. Remember that my time, my talents, all my abilities God has given me, and my treasure, all the resources I have. I bring them to the foot of the cross. Oh, Lord, it's my privilege that you've given me breath and given these things into my hands so I can come and offer it to you. Even the offering comes from God. How great, magnificent is God that he would give us the offering so that we can bring it to him. And what a great tragedy and horrible crime to take that which God gives and hold it to oneself. My abilities, my talents, my resources, my time. But the one who has come and surrendered all to God can be moved by the Spirit of God to pray for a burden for souls. And then that burden becomes uncontainable and prayers go to heaven fired up by the Spirit of God and people get set free all over the place because these prayers are heard by God and heaven is moved because the life is surrendered and the love of God is a burning flame in the heart of the souls. Hallelujah. I don't know of a greater life than that. 
I thought much since I was little about the meaning of life. What should I live for? What should I get? And what if I get what that person gets? Will I be happy? What if I get more of this? Will I be happy? And why is this picture wrong? I see people who have that. They seem to have so much of that, quote-unquote, but they're dying miserable. They're lonely. What's wrong with this picture? So the answer to life and happiness is not in this world at all. It's from above. When I yield myself to God, my life takes on real meaning. When I give myself away, I gain heaven. He that loses his life for my sake in the gospel shall gain it in the end. But whoso keepeth his life, tries to retain and holds it, grasps it, will not let go of my car, my house, my time, my money, will lose everything in the end. That's the law of heaven. We are to pray that God would save us first and foremost from ourselves. Because the warfare that must be waged in the heavenlies through our prayers, on our knees, fighting the battle that heaven has called us to fight. God has called us to fight. For other people must follow victory over our own selves. That the flesh must be crucified. It's repeatedly stated in the epistles. In the gospels as well. The very first step to discipleship is denial of self. The next step is to take up the cross, the burden. And along with that is to follow the Lord. Not to go off on a tangent, I have a burden and I'm going to do what I want. But what is the will of the Lord concerning this burden? I want to walk precisely in the footsteps of my Savior. Mercy and truth preserve the king, verse 28. And by loving kindness, he upholds his throne. What are you and what am I? Who are we? We are kings and priests. Royalty. God said it in Exodus and he says it in Revelation. We are unto God a kingdom of priests. A king of England sits on the throne and he has a baby. What happens to the baby? Does the baby go to boarding school to learn how he can earn his rights to become a prince? No, he's automatically a prince. We've been washed by the blood of Jesus. We have a genealogy that goes back to the Son of God. The King of kings and Lord of lords. 
Pilate said, are you a king then? My kingdom is not of this world. Hereafter you shall see Son of Man come with great power and glory. Crown him with many crowns. Are you a child of the King Jesus? Then not only do you have the obligation and privilege to fight against evil, but also to reflect the full nature of God, which includes mercy and truth, loving kindness. An earthly king who is wise will know how to take care of his subjects. He will not be cruel. King Solomon called for a sword one day because two women approached him crying after him got through all the chain of command there the guards and everyone and said it's an urgent matter one woman claimed the child to be hers the other one said no the child is mine when we're sleeping one of the children died by a mishap and this woman's taken my child as her own, but it's really mine. Solomon heard it, and he called for a sword. He said, I'll tell you what. You both want the one baby, right? You both claim that it's your baby. The one that died is not yours. We'll split the child and give you half to each. You think how cruel but he was guided by the wisdom of God. If he were cruel, he would have said, get out of my face. Who cares about you? I'm more interested in watching this soap opera right now. Drinking wine and... No, he cared. But the wisdom, the truth, went along with the mercy, the loving kindness. He wanted to root out the evil. Which one is evil? Which woman is evil? We're going to show that right now in the presence of everybody. The woman whose child it was cried out and said, No, 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 my Lord. Just let her have the baby. I can't bear to see the baby killed. And the other one, not surprisingly, didn't care so much. King Solomon said, Give the child to the one who cried out, not to cut the child. That's the mother. We can hear things like that and become used to these Bible stories which are true. Not realizing sometimes how heaven sent that wisdom into that king to do that which was unconventional beyond human reasoning. Especially as it relates to the origin of such an approach came from heaven. A simple word revealed the wicked. In truth, mercy won out. Hallelujah.
In our own lives, we need wisdom. We need it so desperately. Some of us need so much wisdom on how to deal with our children in a manner that's absolutely pleasing to God. We try to do it our own way. and We try to add some principles from God, but somehow the child is not growing in a respectful manner as he or she should. Somehow the child has taken precedent over all the activities. The child becomes the ruler of the home. For others, dealing with the spouses, still not fully surrendered to God's way in the relationship. For others, it's reigning over oneself. Still a dichotomy, still a problem where the desires of the flesh seem to be catered to and the desires of the spirit are sidestepped and sidetracked. If we stay in the word of God and come to the presence of God and say, Lord, through you, I can have this wisdom. The world knows nothing of in every move, O oh God, may your good hand be with me. Help me, Lord, to be a person who loves justice, just like you, who feels deeply in my heart when injustice occurs, but does not handle it in a carnal way. Go to prayer, first and foremost, and throughout, and to the end. During the time of prayer, that is coming from unfeigned lips, no pretense, no hypocrisy, true surrender, true burden. God will show what to do next. Hallelujah. We can have the supreme confidence that I'm doing exactly what God said. Not what I thought God said, but I that I hope I'm doing the right thing, but I know. Why? Because I humbly come to his feet daily. Moses spent time with the Lord, as we know, on the Mount of God. When he came down, his physical visage, his face, had a supernatural glow that was frightening to the people. He spent time with God and something rubbed off on him from the holy presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God. When Moses got angry, the anger of God went with him. When he called the people to account for their idolatry and fornication and evil, Because he spent time with God. Some of the greatest saints that I've read about, my leaders of God, said toward the end of their lives, I see now the great work that needs to be done is actually prayer. It's the greatest work. Prayer, burden, justice, 
sanctification, total surrender, caring for others. They all go hand in hand. And as we see just in a few verses in Proverbs, because you and I are royalty from the God who is the king of the universe, we're not just his subjects. We're not someone that was given a telegram or a message that the king is calling you to be a porter in his house or a water boy or water girl or do this or that or he wants you to work in the field outside. But you're not going to get to see the king now. You're just one of the workers. Oh, no. When you and I got born again, the very first face we saw when our spiritual eyes woke face of the Heavenly Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. Full of love beyond our imagination. That confidence, with that confidence we can say, I can be just like my Father. Perfect. With perfect justice in my heart. Perfect loving kindness. Perfect self-sacrifice. May the Spirit of God revive us to be all that he's called us to be. To bring glory and honor to his name. And emancipate free people who are held in slavery by that wicked slave master, the devil. Storm heaven to plunder hell. Storm heaven through spirit-led prayers. Plunder hell to take the spoil of souls away. They can be a people of praise and priests, a kingdom of priests also unto our God. Shall we pray? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, make this real in our lives. Father, I thank you that we have something to live for. Your holy name. Lord, you said, if we seek first your kingdom, the things that have to do with your kingdom, the priorities that have to do with the divine will, all the things that need to be done in our lives, even today, will be taken care of by our Father. Thank you, Father. Lord, you have taken so good care of us. Such good care of us, Lord. So much patience. So much love. Help us to be like that to other people. First and foremost in our prayer closet. Lord, we need more of your burden to live right and to do right. We praise and thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.